Welcome to this podcast of But Did You Die? Podcast by Ops Medical Group with your host, Craig, Mandy, Wendy, and me, John. We are an acute care and emergency medicine clinicians. Our goal with this podcast is to provide education and entertainment by bringing you insights into our experiences to help you better understand critical aspects of medicine. We hope that our stories provide you both uh, an insight into the technical and human side of medicine. Our ultimate goal is to help you develop the technical, mental, and emotional tools to handle emergent events. Today, we want to talk about why we named our podcast, But Did You Die? I think it's important that we discuss why we named our podcast, But Did You Die? Ultimately, it's about perspective. It may sound a little crass or insensitive, but it's really another way of delivering that cliche of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh, We see a range of every imaginable condition in the ED, from people coming in with no illness at all to death and everything in between. Similar to many military units who are faced with risk of life and limb, emergency room providers often have a dark sense of humor. This is not irreverent or disrespectful. It is, however, therapeutic and emotionally self-protective. The job in and of itself is somewhat dark. We're tasked with telling one patient that she has just had a stroke and may have speech deficits or other deficits for the remainder of her life. And then going to the very next room and telling a patient that she has an ankle sprain and will be fine. The severity of the two conditions is extremely different, but our treatment of them must be equally caring and compassionate. So at the end of the day, whether we've seen death, disability, or simply nonsense. The question is, but did you die? The question is directed at everybody. Physicians, nurses, patients, everybody. Did I see or do anything during my day that actually killed me? No. Then I have a choice. I can complain about it, or I can learn from it. I could say, oh, poor pitiful me, how hard my day was. Nothing went my way, blah, blah, blah. And to be fair, I complain plenty and in more of a warning than an example. But ultimately, what I should say is, what did I learn from today? How can I use the challenges of today to improve my practice going forward? Thus, helping care for my patients better, helping communicate with my peers better, helping lead my team better. Perspective. We all need to keep a better perspective. And yes, you may not die from a stroke, but you may end up with a lifelong disability that severely burdens you and your family. Or even though you didn't die, death may have taken a loved one from you. These are very real and incredibly difficult situations that will require perseverance and hard work to handle. But did you die? This is one of those tough love moments where we may sound harsh, but the reality is that we care about you, and that's why we're pushing you to have a different perspective, a shift in attitude. In Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, he discusses the importance of attitude. Frankl was an Eastern European Jew who survived the Nazi concentration camps. He discusses the psychological challenges of surviving the camps as much, more, as much or more as he does the physical challenges of surviving. Okay. This is from the book. Quote, we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but 
They offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And there were always choices to make. Every day, every hour, offered the opportunity to make a decision, a decision which determined whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threatened to rob you of your very self, your inner freedom, which determined whether or not you would become the plaything of circumstance, renouncing freedom and dignity to become molded into the form of the typical inmate, end quote. That's an incredibly powerful story. I highly recommend that book. One of my other favorite books is by uh, former Navy SEAL Marcus Luttrell called Lone Survivor, in which he discusses the event that took three of his teammates in Afghanistan. And he lived months in an Afghan uh, culture that was so challenging to him, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. But not only did he persevere, he was able to come back and teach others about how to persevere mentally and physically and emotionally. He currently hosts a podcast that's called Team Never Quit. And it's just that. It's stories of individuals who have suffered through challenges, but they did not quit. They maintained a perspective and an attitude that says, what can I learn from this? How can I improve? Today, we have several stories that we want to share from you. Uh, about individuals who have persevered, who have overcome very real challenges that many of you have faced and offer you some insight into ways that can serve you in handling these. Because at the end of the day, we want you to ask yourself, but did I die? And we want that to be not a joke, but something that says, wait a minute, what can I do to improve myself? How can I learn from this event as opposed to let this event control me? We're pleased today to have uh, Mr. Ron uh, as one of our guests. He's a former chief of police uh, in South. He's current chief of police. Current chief of police, and uh, in South here here in South Tech. Um, so please, Ron, thank you for being with us. If thank you will you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your background. Well, my name's Ronald. You can call me Ron. Uh, I'm currently a chief of police in a South Texas town. Uh, I've been uh, going on 24 years working for my agency. Uh, prior to that, I worked two and a half years for another agency. Um, I've been chief of police now for eight years. And uh, I'm in the twilight of my career. So retirement is rapidly approaching excellent thank you for joining us thank you for having me would you mind sharing your story uh no not at all Uh, i guess the reason i'm here today you asked me the reason you invited me here today was to share a story that about an incident that that I was involved in uh, several years ago uh, and, and before I before I share this story uh, I would like to preface it with uh, this that 
yes, I was involved in this story. In, in this incident, I was involved. I was by no means a hero or the hero of this incident. I was involved in it. Uh, that's the extent of that. Uh, I was uh, I was there. I was involved. Uh, three very, very good friends of mine were killed during this incident. Uh, my best friend was severely wounded. Uh, I was shot at. Uh, and... Uh, it was a, a a very horrific incident that that lasted several hours, uh, and you know, it was the most the worst night of my life, and uh, it's something that that I relive. I've I have relived every every single day since that incident uh, over twenty years ago. And, uh, you know, and I very early on, I said, I hope this incident, I did not want this incident to, to define me, but it's something that, that has been with me every, every day, you know, and, and, uh, that has been my, my cross to bear. And uh, it was, you know, it was terrible. But I think the aftermath, what a lot of people do not understand is most people see what they see on the news and then that's it. They move on. Everyone else's lives moves on. But the aftermath is what no one else understands or, or realizes so. The people involved, their lives continue, and, and uh, I had to, not only uh, me, but my family had to live with the aftermath of that incident for for several years. I was a uh, meant I was mentally and emotionally wrecked after that, and and uh, an agency of our size back then, we didn't have the capabilities that are available now of the mental health capabilities. It was saddle up and, and go to work. Uh, this happened on a Tuesday night. Just so happened I was off Wednesday and Thursday. And Friday, I was back at work. No downtime, no nothing. It was back at work. And uh, to Friday the night, I had a call, you know, for someone with a gun. And I was... To the, emotional wreck. Yeah. To the best of your ability, if you can share with us the event, share with us your mindset going through the event, then share with us the mindset after the event, ultimately leading up to today and how your perspective has changed, how it's how it's changed you as an individual, and how it's how it's helped you become stronger, even though this was a, an incredibly challenging event. This event happened on a Tuesday night. And, uh, you know, at the time, 
you know, where where we worked, nothing happened on Tuesday night. Sometimes we didn't have a single call on Tuesday night. And and this incident happened outside of outside of our city limits. And uh, we uh, they sent some some deputies out there uh, for a false nine one one call. Well, for a nine one one call, they didn't know that it was bogus. And when they got there, uh, they were ambushed, and we didn't know because they weren't answering their radios. So a uh, uh, DPS trooper went out there to assist them. Well, not to assist them, to go check on them because they weren't answering their radios. And at the time, there was a lot of spots in the county where there was there was a lot of dead spots where your radio didn't work. So they went out there. He went out there to go check on them. And, then he wouldn't answer. Well, he got there and he said, we have officers down, send everybody you got. Then he stopped answering his radio. And uh, my partner uh, went out there to assist them. And uh, when he got out there, there was a older gentleman who lived in the area who's a retired Border Patrol agent. He showed up the, at the same time as my partner and uh, they were both ambushed and shot. And there was an old rancher who lived in the area. And uh, he could hear all the gunfire. I mean, this guy had a, he had a Mac 90, which is basically a sporterized AK-47. And he had, um, he had set up little caches of weapons all in the brush. Uh, this was out in the, out in the country. It was mesquite, probably seven, eight feet high. You couldn't see him. And he had set up these little caches of weapons everywhere. He had them set up perfect ambush. And uh, it was a classic ambush. And, uh, so everybody who got there first was shot. And, uh, when I, I remember going out there and I had a shotgun in the rack in my, in my patrol car. And I had never been out where this location was. And it's funny because of your, your perception, how your mind plays tricks on you. Some of this incident, I remember it being broad daylight, like right now. And then some of it, I remember it being pitch black. Uh, and uh, I remember going out there and thinking, well, I have a shotgun, but I might need more than that. And I had a, I had a Ruger Mini 14 in the trunk. That was my personally owned rifle. So I pulled over and I grabbed that rifle and some spare magazines and I stuck them in my back pocket. And I put that rifle in the front with me and I took off out there. And I knew the general area where I was going and I'm driving out there and it's all brush. So I had my overhead red and blue lights on and the lights bouncing off the side of, bouncing off the brush. So it was real disorienting. And I remember before I got there thinking, you know, do I want to be lit up like a Christmas tree when I get there? Uh, one, I don't know exactly where I'm going. and 
too. I don't know where this person or persons are. So uh, I turned off my lights, my overhead lights. And as I'm pulling up there, there was a small Chevy truck in the intersection. I saw one of our patrol cars in the intersection and an ambulance came from out of nowhere and the back doors flew open and an EMS guy, two EMS guys jumped out the back door. <coughs> Y'all probably know one of the EMS guys. Uh, his name's John and, uh, and another guy. They jumped out of the back of the EMS unit and they picked up the older gentleman, the border patrolman. He'd been shot once in the arm and I think in the shoulder. He was wearing a bright white crispy white shirt and I could see he had blood on his shirt and they picked him up like if he weighed nothing and they picked him up and they tossed him in the back of the ambulance and as I'm driving up I could see uh, the tufts of the there was a Caliche road so I could see the white dust just going up all around them uh, puffs of Caliche all around them where the gunman was shooting at them and they tossed him in the back and the EMS driver took off with the doors open. Probably the bravest thing I've ever seen. And they drove off with him. And uh, there's an older gentleman down the road, a rancher. And uh, he, my partner, had been shot. He had drove up, and he threw him in the back of his truck. He had a, a dually pickup, and he took off, and he got his truck all shot up, too. He, he shot up that rancher's truck, too. I mean, brave. He had no business being out there, and got his truck all shot up, and, you know, just a good example of good people who, who put his, risked his life for 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 somebody for his fellow man those two ems drivers were volunteers uh, they weren't getting paid to be out there uh, they uh, they were out there as volunteers and they they took that elderly gentleman out of there too and, and as i drive up there uh, all of this is happening i mean it's in a blur so and I opened my door and, and when I, I get out of my car, I could see there's a trailer house on the other side of the intersection and uh, there's a trailer house on the other, on between, the ambulance is between me and this trailer home. So I knew I could use the ambulance as cover to get to that little pickup that's in the intersection. So I'm using the ambulance as cover and they drive off. So I'm stuck in the middle of this intersection with no cover and this guy's still popping rounds off. And you could hear, it's a pretty distinct sound. 762 by 39 rounds. You could hear the ving, ving, ving when, when they, they go over here. 
go over your head. I mean, it, I don't know how close they were. It sounded like they were very close, uh, but it's a pretty distinct sound. And I ran towards the truck and I slid behind it for cover. And there was a volunteer fireman behind the, behind the truck that I knew. Uh, he's same thing. He had no business out there, but he was out there helping. And uh, I asked him because at, at, at that time, I, I didn't know where my partner was. And I asked him where, where my partner was. And he said, he's gone. And I, I remember the blood just, I mean, rushing to my head, thinking he's dead. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, he's dead. And I said, what do you mean he's gone? He goes, no, he left in a truck. They took him. He was shot and they took him. And I said, is he alive? He goes, yeah, he's alive, but they took him out of here. So I'm like, well, good. Uh, even even to I always I always carried a, a backup gun, and even to to this day, I always carried a backup gun. And I reached into my to my body armor, and and I pulled out my backup gun and I handed it to the volunteer fireman, and and I said, "Here, you know, cover this side of the truck, and if anybody comes out, I'll shoot their ass." And he held up. Uh, I remember kind of chuckling because he he held up my partner's backup gun and he said no he said uh, he left me his uh, before <laughs> he left he left me his and I was like okay I said well you cover this this angle and I'll cover this angle anybody comes out of the woods wearing a uniform shoot them so uh, you know we're out there and he pop off occasional rounds but we had good cover and uh, you know I was trying to get out on my handheld radio and I couldn't because all I had was my handheld. So I thought I can flank. All this time I'm thinking he's in that trailer house. So, you know, initially I thought I can empty a magazine into that trailer house for my rifle just to let him know that we're here and and we're, we're ready. You know, we're ready to do battle. I'll empty a magazine into that house. And then I'm thinking, you know, it's, not a military setting. I can't just empty a magazine into a house willy-nilly. I'm thinking, what if there's children in the house? What if there's innocents? I can't. So I said, I'll flank the house to get a better angle in him. I'll cut across this brush into the brush so I can at least get a better angle on the house. But later on, I learned he was hiding in that brush. So had I gone in there, I probably would have run into him head on if I would have gone into there. And the whole time he was shooting, I never saw a muzzle flash. I never saw muzzle flashes or anything, you know. 
and that's all I was looking for is if I could see a muzzle flash, I could, and I, you know, I had several magazines. I said I could empty magazines in there, and I never fired a shot. I never could. You know, I was proned out behind this truck, and and uh, you know, at around that time, just uh, the the cavalry started getting here, and I mean, officers started getting there by the dozens, and. Uh, we were out there for several hours. So, so bigger agency to the north of us that had a helicopter sent out a helicopter with a FLIR unit, and they were able to get a good location on him, and and uh, they moved in on him. And he, like most of these incidents happened, he took his own life before anything else. And, you know, they, it, you know, essentially it was over, but three damn good men lost their lives that night guys who had been at they had been at my house just a few weeks earlier uh celebrating my birthday and you know we barbecued and drank beer together and uh it was a shame you know they all had kids and were wives and and that just did not have to happen it was you know it was just terrible. It was terrible. It was terrible. Talk to us a little bit about your mindset immediately and shortly after the event. Um, because I want our listeners to recognize how it affected you, how challenging these events truly are, uh, how devastating they can be. And then I want you to sort of transition from that into what you did to overcome that and how you've used that to grow and strengthen yourself, even to the point of being able to have the courage to share the story with us today. So I had a quick question before you go into that. Sure. Were you the chief of police at that time? I was two years into my career. I was just a patrolman. Okay. I was two years into, you know, I was and, and a I, and I think brand new patrolman. I think that's really important for people to understand. Mm-hmm. Like, here you are, you're a brand new dude, you're coming into the police force, you know, here's your first exposure, here's your big you know what we call in the military your first big gunfight and boom what happens next for you and you know i was brand new two years in and mindset was good uh you know at that time our department you know wasn't very well budgeted uh, we weren't very well budgeted at the time uh a lot of most of my gear I purchased out of my pocket. Uh, you know, I was married. I had young kids. I had a young family. I wasn't making a lot of money. Uh, I didn't have hardly any money, but I used my money to buy good gear. You know, the rifle I had out there that night I purchased with my own money and, uh, most of my equipment, my backup gun, I purchased with my own money because uh, I, I felt that was that important uh, to keep me alive. Uh, my A lot of training that I took, I took on my days off and I paid with my own money. And I didn't have money with young mouths to feed to do that. But my mindset was, you know, I could either whine about it and say, well, my PD won't pay for it or. I could take responsibility for my own safety. So 
now that I became chief, uh, my guys have top of the line equipment. We spend tons of money on on my guys are the best equipped officers in 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 our area the best trained we spend thousands and thousands of dollars getting them trained and equipped uh but my night was you know it's my responsibility and i think it, i dealt with a lot of survivors guilt uh i felt really guilty for surviving that night uh, i was ashamed you know well uh, I, for the longest time, I couldn't, those three officers' wives square in the eye, uh, I felt ashamed because uh, I lived, you know, uh, I always felt like I could have done more, uh, but, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but I think back now, like, if I would have tried to flank them, uh, you know, there probably would have been four dead officers because uh, I knew he was in that house. Yeah. I would have never thought he was in, in the brush. And I would have run run into him out there. So one of the most painful things I can tell you already that um, we deal with in the military is not just the survivor's guilt, but is something called a post-mission brief and a after-action review, which we call an AAR. Yeah, being a former Army guy in 11 Bravo, I can tell you that I've gone through a lot of AARs. And, you know, as you sit here and you uh, recapture all the memory and that moment, the after action review when you're sitting there and you're getting scrutinized by somebody that wasn't there as a, as a young person coming up in the military ranks at that time, was always very painful, extremely painful. Yeah. And it's the same thing that we deal with in emergency medicine and when questions are our decision-making at the second, like we decided to do, this, do that. And the big thing with this issue, um, with your experience in being officers, because we, we deal with them every day, 10 probably easily um, uh, is you know what what did you do what did you feel helped you cope in the long run other than just time because I can tell you right now me dealing with an AR is not is not coping it is recreating the entire mission all over again from my perspective what I saw what I did and then all of a sudden hey guess what some guy that was never there that is sitting in a really nice cozy room while I've been sweating my ass off and being hungry for the last couple of days is telling me that, hey, you know what? This is what I would have done. And, you know, I sit back and I, afterwards, you know, now being who I am, I can sit back and go, okay, you know what? I should have maybe thought of this at the last second. Fix it, right? Sitting here and you're I could have gone into that brush. I could have gone and flanked them. I could have gone. You know, I'm assuming that you were going to the right with your hand gestures. 
Uh, so if you would have gone to the left, would you have outflanked him? You know, maybe you would have come up behind him and, and caught him in, in the long run. But uh, right. but it's once again, it's the AER, the Monday morning quarterbacking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there was a lot, a lot. And even to this day, there still is, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking. A lot of a lot of people who who weren't uh, who weren't there uh, still Monday morning quarterback. But it, you know, I I don't let that that bother me uh, anymore. Uh, I think there's far more important things to me now, and that is to not let the sacrifice and memories of those three officers uh, uh, diminish. I don't want to diminish their memories any. They they gave their lives serving their communities, and and it, I feel it's my duty to keep their memories alive. And, and they... Uh, you know, it, uh, you know, the, the aftermath, you know, it, I put, I could sit here today and honestly tell you that I did not deal with the aftermath, uh, well, at all the wrong things, uh, uh, I did everything they tell you not to do. I did, you know, I began to drink heavily and, sure. and, uh, if I wasn't drinking, I was drunk. Yeah. I mean, if I wasn't working, I was drunk. Yeah. And and uh, I did it all wrong until finally one day I just said, hey, yeah. hey, stupid, you know, yeah. this isn't helping anybody, you know. And, and uh, you're fixing to lose your family if you don't get it in gear. And, you know, when I was at work, I was, I was like a damn super cop when I went to work because I was hell bent on arresting everybody and and uh, you know I was just out making cases all night all night and I never stopped and then I went on days off and and uh, I bought a half gallon of Old Crow Sometimes <laughs> we didn't have sodas. I drink it with Big Red, Okra <laughs> and Big Red. South Texas drinking. Right yeah, there. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then you know, it was just I put you know I put my kids through hell. My wife, oh my God, you know, she's a you know I put her her through hell, and uh, it was just uh, not a good time. It was a it was a dark uh, dark time for for my family and and uh, and for me. You know, I was in a I was in a pretty dark place uh, that I had to, I was in a funk that I had to pull myself out of, you know, like I said, uh, you know, hey, take a week off, get your head straight or, or go see this doctor. What, what helped you the most in making that transition from this sucks, I'd rather just be drunk to to pull my act together, accept what happened, and make the memories of these men valued. What, what I mean, and it may have been a process, but but talk us through like what what helped me the most was uh, young police officers. Every time we hired a young police officer, every time now when we hire a young police officer. Uh, I put them in my vehicle, in, in my truck, and I take them out to that location. 
and walk them through what happened. And I tell them, look, this happened. Don't think that bad shit happens on a Friday and a Saturday. It can happen at any time. This was on a Tuesday night. Back then, we didn't wear our body armor during the week. We just wore it on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You didn't need your vest on Monday through Thursday. You didn't wear it. You didn't need it. But now, that that was a big help, you know, because I said, you know, uh, I owe it to to these young guys. They they need to know. Well, and not only have you talked about honoring the memory of the three men who lost their lives serving the community, you on how initially uh, you you weren't interested in discussing this event. You wanted to kind of close it off and shut it off, and and perhaps even pretend like it didn't it, it happen, which I I can't even imagine. But you've also mentioned to us offline that over the course of time talking about it has actually been therapeutic in and of itself to share the story, to share the challenge. Talk to us a little bit about how that's helped you in not, uh, honoring these men's lives, but also changing your own life and helping change others' lives for the better. And has that helped your family life? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, for the longest time, I, you know, at, at first, you know, right after this happened uh, I would only what happened just to some close friends who were police officers nobody from the outside because police officers were all cynical we don't trust nobody from the outside. Sounds Just like, like people in the medical. Sounds field. like the ER. <laughs> you don't have you don't have friends who are not in the medical field because they don't understand you. And y'all go to parties with people who are not in the medical field and they think y'all are sick. <laughs> because police are the same way. You go to a party and nobody believes your stories because they think you're full of shit because that didn't happen. And, you know, y'all go to parties and you say, this guy had this up his butt and <laughs> that did not happen. Uh, police are the same way. It's the same, the same thing. And so, you know, I never shared that with anybody out outside. And uh, my brother, my brother was, was a, I only have one brother and he was a policeman and he was shot in the line of duty and wounded. And he never told me what happened. Uh, to him I only knew what happened to him uh, just from the news stories and it was during uh, one of he rode with me during one of the officers burials and it was just me and him in the car and he told me play by play exactly what happened to him you know and that's the only time he's ever told me about his incident and, uh, you know, and because that's the way cops are, you know, we don't trust nobody, just ourselves. And and I never told nobody this story about who was it and, and to anybody who wasn't a cop. And uh, that just was like a festering wound that I carried all the time. And it, and it made me a mean, angry person all the time. And. And, uh, you know, even 
I couldn't talk about it without becoming a slobbering mess. You know, I mean, even to this day, you know, I can't, I can't talk about it without breaking down. And uh, now I think I'm more open about it now. And I talk to other people about it. And, you know, I'm, I still become a, a wreck when I talk about it. And, you know, this has affected me emotionally, but, you know, definitely affected me emotionally because uh, an, an agency our size, you know, these guys were tight. It's not like you work for a 2000 man department where, oh, I might've seen that guy twice. You know, these are guys who hang out, you hang out with, you drink beer with and on your days off and, and uh, it's like, you know, you lose a close family friend. So to see them die that way in a violent, tragic way like that, heck yeah, it affects you to lose one, but three, three at one time, you know, it, I, I, there was a point in my life where I thought I would never, ever get over this. Never. You know, but that's it. You know. Uh, and uh, but was, then I said, I, I owe them that much. You know, I never once considered quitting the career. I never once considered suicide. Uh, that never entered my mind. Uh, the thought of quitting the job, I felt like I would be giving up on them. That that never entered my mind, but uh, I think that really, I, I, you know, to this day, I still feel like I owe them that I have to do this job every day. Every day I pin the badge on, it's for them. So, yeah. You know, it's, uh, Was that, would you say that's part of the process that drove you to want to share the story beyond just your fellow police officers because you wanted to honor their memories. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. It makes sense. I mean, yeah, you know, definitely. And you know, there's so much more that, you know, that, you know, those EMS guys, you know, that, that I like to tell people about those guys that, you know, they were out there volunteer EMS, not getting paid a nickel. Driving into gunfire, getting shot at, just to rescue somebody. The you know the old rancher picks up my best friend, tosses him in the back of his truck. You know my best friend told me, my partner told me, truck. He, he took a a round, uh, seven six two by thirty nine round here, and it came out by his elbow, and it just destroyed his forearm and they were going to amputate thought they were going to amputate it and he had arterial bleeding and the old man threw him in back of the truck and he said he saw his arm and the bone was yellow and he said man what can get worse than this then that guy opened up and started shooting the truck and the glass was was showering on him and he goes oh shit it got worse (laughs) (laughs) and uh, they pulled up to the ranch hand's house and he said, Give, bring me a towel to wrap this boy's arm up. And the guy came out with a roll of paper towels. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they got him to the hospital and they said, we're going to have to amputate his arm. And his wife said, no, you're not. 
and they saved his arm and he's got a skin graft and he's still a policeman today. All right, just to follow, does anyone have any questions for Mr. Ron? I know that uh, his daughter Jess is with us today and Jess works with us um, at the hospital. She's a respiratory therapist and we'll uh, talk to her more, but she, um, I don't know that she has any questions, but perhaps she could give us some insight into uh, some of the things she learned as as uh, his daughter. Um. So, yes, I'm a respiratory therapist. I've been a RT for almost six years now at the same place, and I work with a wonderful group of people, which is why I haven't left. And, um, yeah, just growing up, being raised by my parents um like if you were to ask my dad like what was your approach on raising your kids uh I'm 99.9 percent sure he'd say that he raised us really hard uh the other day we were laughing because he sent us a meme that said in our household we roast our kids to prepare them for (laughs) the real world because it's true I mean anywhere you go um there's gonna be haters and I mean, you got to have good comebacks. So that's how it was in our household. And I mean, we're tough. I feel like I'm pretty tough compared to a lot of um, other women my age. Um, my I grew up with two brothers. And I mean, that should be a testament of itself. I mean, it, it was just, you know, in our household, it was, okay, y'all are fighting, duke it out, and then hug and kiss, you know, later. And that's how it how it was in our household. Um, having to see our dad um, during those dark years was kind of confusing, I think. I'm going to get emotional. Um, because I think I was nine at the time. Like, what do you do? Like, I can say, hey, dad, it's going to be okay. But, like, I, I don't even know what is what happened you know I just know um that my dad went into a dangerous situation and I just want to make sure he comes back home you know and uh, I remember my mom and I were going home the day that this happened uh from Walmart and we saw a ton of police cars just racing towards the location and um Back then, I think we only had one cell phone, and my mom had the cell phone that day, and I think there was, like, maybe a pager. I don't really know, but anyway, she called the police department, and they said, I have no idea if Ronald's okay, but I know he's out there, and um, anybody in our family can tell you that my mom... I love her to death, but she doesn't do well with stressful situations. She's like, oh, my God, I want to fix the problem. Like, what do I do, you know? And my little nine-year-old self was like, okay, it's going to be okay, you know? And having to be the child that's comforting the adult in that situation kind of helped me, um, I guess, like, discover myself and discover who... who I'm supposed to be or what I was meant to be because even at work like I mean we see crazy shit together all the time but like people all like um young RTs that I work with they always uh tell me like wow like you held that together really well and um 
I know you guys weren't there at the time when this happened. Maybe Ruben was, but uh, sorry. Uh, we had a kid one day come through the ER that accidentally got shot by his uh, older brother. And you don't have any time to like process that information, you know, and at our facility, we see peds, but like peds that have like croup or something, you don't see dead kids or kids that are dying actively. So it was kind of one of those things like get it together. And what can I do to help this kid? And I have a small child myself, who was close to the same age. And, um, that too is like, I mean, we're the majority of us here are parents and it's like you put yourself in the parents shoes and it's just, I mean, that it could take you for a trip, but, um, we did what we could. The kid didn't make it. And I remember the physician going out and delivering the terrible news to the parent and just hearing that cry, um, of a parent that just lost their child, uh, I couldn't help it, but I had to literally walk very, very quickly out of the ER and I lost it because um, that was horrible, you know, but, you know, hitting back to where the question like, you know, I feel very fortunate to have been raised by my parents. Uh, my mom, she's short and she's tiny, but she's feisty. And my dad, he's the opposite. I mean, he's, fi he's tough, but he's tall, you know, he's a mountain of a man and, uh, just has like that lion, um, spirit animal, I guess what is what you could say. And my kid the other day, it was funny. She, she asked me, what's your spirit animal? And I said, I feel like my spirit animal is a lioness. Like, because, um, and not to be like, cliche or anything but because I feel super fierce and I feel like there's not a damn thing that I can't do because I know that I have a good support system and um my dad never let us quit anything I mean you can ask my siblings it was like okay you want to quit basketball because your coach is a jerk no you're not going to you're going to write it out and then if next year you decide you don't want to do it then don't do it but you're not going to quit and i feel like that's that mentality has transitioned into my life as an adult because um there are some times when i'm like hey dad i don't think i can do this anymore especially with covid you know that takes a toll mentally and um he's always there to remind me, why did you do it in the first place? You know, and you kind of have to like humble yourself and yeah, you know what? You're right. Like I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for others. And I know, um, the level of confidence that was instilled in me from being super little. Um, I know that there's nobody again, not to sound cocky, but I know that there's nobody at my facility that can do what I do and the manner that I do it because quality of care is everything to me and to, to all of us, but quality of care is everything. And especially serving the community that we serve. Um, you have to have compassion to serve some of these people that come through our ER. I mean, um, so I feel that we went, he went through his rough patch you know, and had his own demons that he had to face. And as a family, we had to face certain ones together. But I'm really happy that and I wouldn't take back 
that from my upbringing at all because it I wouldn't be who I am today and, and my brothers wouldn't be who they are today as well so well Ronald you have raised one hell of a mentally tough kid that's pretty <laughs> awesome all three of them are that's awesome that's awesome I know from working with her she's definitely awesome at what she does what would you like to if there was a message you'd like to leave with our listeners of what you learned from this event um what would that be? We're all going to face adversity at one time in our life. Uh, everybody faces adversity at one time. Uh, you can't fold. You have to keep pushing hard and push forward. Uh, there's no room for weakness. And I know I can say that because I have succumbed to weakness at one point in my life uh, during this. And I had to fight my way back from weakness to get to where I am today. And don't put yourself in that spot. Don't succumb to weakness. Just keep pushing forward. Uh, adversity will always be there. And push forward. Push forward. Don't let it get the best of you. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for that having was me. an awesome story. I, I do appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank you for having me. And I think whether Ronald recognized or not that somehow he was asking the question, but did I die? He certainly had the right perspective and attitude. And it may not have come to him overnight, but he had that mentality of, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to figure out a way to get through this. And I'm going to get past this and I'm going to use this to better myself, my family and my community. And he certainly has done so. Um, tying in with the same theme, one of our hosts, Wendy, has a similar story of adversity that she's overcome that we'd like her to talk about. Um, yeah, I don't think mine is as action-packed, um, so not a lot of bravery in my situation, um, but four years ago in 2016, I was actually in a um, Las Vegas hotel, casino area. Um, I was under... I was partaking in medical continuing education, like doing an emergency medicine boot camp, these are CEs that we take all the time to continue to stay up to date and, you know, just make sure we put the best kind of medical care out there that we possibly can. And it also just happened to be my birthday. And I, um, you know, what's better than Vegas and your 31st birthday? Not a whole lot. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm there with some other MP friends and um, my husband, Justin, was back home because he was in school and taking classes actively and unable to attend the conference with us because of conflicts with school. Um, and I had talked to him the night before and um, he said, okay, I'll call you in the morning for your birthday. And I never got a phone call. And I wasn't actually feeling very well, so this was, <laughs> I texted him, I said, hey, can you send me the new insurance cards? And I never heard from him, and I thought, that's really strange. And didn't hear from him throughout the day, and 
called repeatedly, texted repeatedly, never heard anything. And I'm starting to get worried at this point because this is unusual behavior for him. Um, not at all what you uh, would expect from him. And the only, we live two blocks away from his parents. Um, and so I had texted his dad and said, hey, you know, just when you get a chance, can you swing by our house and make sure everything's okay? Um, and I left it at that. I didn't say anything else. And my brother actually happened to text me in the middle of our lunch break for the day. And uh, we had gone to lunch and he texted me. He said, hey, um, I'm in your neck of the woods. I'm buying um, some rabbits. Um, and he said, I'm going to stop by and hang out with Justin for a little while. Because they had a really, really great um, relationship. Zach only had big sisters to look up to, so not the big brother kind of thing. And he kind of, Justin really took on that ro- role really well for him. Um, and so I was like, yeah, sh- you know, um, something's just kind of weird. I haven't heard from him on my birthday. I don't know what's going on. So, you know, maybe maybe now's not a good time. I don't really know what's going on. Maybe he's sick or something. And my little brother's like, too late, I'm already here. And um, we had one of those key digit door codes where you could, anybody could get in as long as you had the key. And so um, I was like, okay, well, let me know what's going on. And uh, I'm in the bathroom with my best friend. Um, I'm washing my hands. She's going to the bathroom. And my mom calls me back about five minutes later. And she says, put Jenny on the phone. And I, you can tell when something is really wrong, like that tone in people's voice. Yeah. yeah. And I said, okay. And so I go and I tap on the door to Jenny, who's unfortunately using the restroom at this point in time. And I hand Jenny the phone and, um, you just, I knew like at that instant, I just, I knew, um, that whatever had happened was going to be, um, life-altering for me at that point um and so Jenny said I think she said oh my fucking god and hung up the phone because Jenny was really good friends with Justin as well we had all at one point actually lived together (laughs) um neighbors and hung out quite a bit in a very small town in Texas so um she walked out and she looked at me and you know I had been very fortunate up until this point. I had worked in the ER and I'd held people's hands and I had seen them die or had to tell parents, you know, awful, awful things being a trauma nurse and tell families. And I didn't, I I empathized with them. I truly did because you don't want to see fellow human beings hurt in that manner. Like you just don't, but I didn't get it because up until this point in my life, life had occurred on like a natural progression. My, I still had great grandparents alive at this point. So I mean, that's in and of itself just an oddity. Like, they're not in their 90s, and I still have great-grandparents. And so I had been really untouched by grief at this point. And um, so Jenny kind of told me the news that I already knew that Justin was dead and that my little brother had found him sitting out on the back porch, um, otherwise healthy 29-year-old, so we had no idea Um you know, what the cause is at that point. And all I know is that my life relative has 
relatively ended, like the life that I had set my path on. Like, you know, you make this choice that you choose your person that's going to be your person and you make that commitment and um, that's done. So if you want to shut down an entire like half of a casino floor room, I don't suggest it, but you can go absolutely crazy with grief um, to the point where at one point, my and I don't remember a whole lot because it does become a blur. Um, but my f- my friend Jenny looks at me and she says, "If you don't get your ass up off of the floor, they're gonna cart you out of here on an EMS stretcher." And I know that would make this worse for you. I need you to get up so we can get le- we need to get going. We need to get out of Vegas. And I said, "Okay." And so um, then it just kind of became a whirlwind of trying to get back to Texas. Uh, and I was really fortunate that she was there and some other friends who really helped me um, get through that initial 24-hour period of just complete shock and, you know, because at that point you're just in shock. You're devastated. You're in shock. And I kept remembering, okay, I need to see him because I don't believe this. I need to see him. He, I don't believe this. Like, And so that was just, you know, this really um, hard mantra that kind of came over. And then you see them. And it's true. And you see his parents and his siblings and your mom's face and everybody's face. And um, and you're 31 and you've had no kids yet. And you've just bought this house for kids. And, you know, you've you've made all these plans, these life plans. And this is all this is all ending suddenly um, through no fault of your own and through no action and it was very traumatic, especially as a healthcare person, because I almost wondered if had I been there, would the outcome have been different? Had I, had I been able to, um, save him? Like I know emergency medicine, I know signs and symptoms, I know risk factors for disease processes, and I know how to, how to do that. And, um, yeah, so for the next six weeks, I went crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's the best way to put it. I un, I was very fortunate at the time. Instead of having to kind of saddle up and go back in two days like Mr. Ron, I was um, fortunate that my lead um, mid-level that I worked with um, really just said, don't worry about coming out, coming back. Don't, don't you know, you, you have to be there, you have to process this. And I don't think I would have been, um, able to go back and to listen to other people's problems and complaints and try to help them because I was not in that headspace. It was all about me at that point. And, um, that sounds really selfish because I was hurting for his family too, but, um, it's still like, it's hard to focus on anything else other than how that impacts you, especially right there at the beginning. It's very dark. Um, and so after a certain point, um, I, I guess it was about the second year, I kind of really, um, with the help of his parents and my friends and my grandmother and a few other people in my life, I really had to just make a decision. Am I going to let this affect me to the point where I'm bitter and I don't use my life in a way that would honor him and honor myself? Or am I going to get better? Am I going to move past this? Am I going to continue to grow and do things that he would want to do and live for him and myself and make each day the best that I can? And so um, 
I did, I've decided to be better. And I decided that um, it was going to impact me in a way that I would take it and turn it into how I interact with my patients. You know, when I tell them horrendous, awful, awful news, I'm better equipped to try in that moment when their life is falling apart to um, connect with them and really um, hopefully lessen the blow a little bit because it's not going to make it better, but lessen it and make it um, something that they know that they're not, they, they're not going to, um, this isn't going to be the end of them. And this is going to help them, um, not help them. That's the wrong word. Cause you know, it doesn't really help you, but, um, it's not going to be the end of you and you can move past this and you can take it and learn from it and turn it into an opportunity. And I think, um, that's how we, you know, really honor our loved ones that leave us either, because it's natural progression and it's your grandmother and she's 94 and that's an amazing life. Or it's because you've been ambushed in your work setting and you're, you're taking this horrible trauma or because, you know, illness happens to people sometimes when they least expect it, sometimes when they're 29 and you just have to take it and go. And it's just, that's my biggest takeaway I think is you can either be bitter or better and you have to make that choice. Did you feel like you made the choice on your own? Did you feel like you had some help? And, and I ask this simply because so many of us never know what to say when individuals are suffering. Regardless of the suffering, I feel like so many of us say the wrong things or say the cliche things, and we might mean well, but what do they say? The path to hell is paved with people who mean well. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and at the end of the day, maybe the best thing we need to say is, I'm sorry, I know this sucks. But what was it? Was it just, did you just have something in you that just said, hey, look, I got to get, I got to move? Or did you have someone you could really fall back on? I mean, I definitely had people I could fall back on to a degree. And they were definitely from day one, which at the time felt very harsh to me, but from day one, they were like, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. You're going to get through this. Um, but no, in the end, it ultimately had to be me. Like I, even prior to marrying Justin, or I was very okay with being in my own shell and being my own person and not having to deal with, um, life. But at some point, nobody can make that decision for you. You have to decide this is what I'm going to do. They can coach you. They can guide you. They can offer you all the best, but, um, that's all I, that's it. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, (laughs) heavy, heavy topics. So that's two really heavy topics and I want to, I want to kind of like, um, integrate them if you don't mind and uh, in the simple relationship that you know cops are human mm-hmm. healthcare professionals are human and we're all dealing with a lot of heavy shit on a any given day uh, and to me as a former gunfighter um, you know as I, as I listen to both of these stories I think about you know, how they can easily correlate to one another. And 
you sit back and you're like, you know, um, how do you deal with this, right? Like, how do you really deal with loss? How do you really deal with failure from a perspective that is internal, not really that is external? Like, a lot of people would sit there and be like, oh, this is an external failure. No, this... But inside, you're saying, no, this is an internal failure, right? Mm -hmm. Because I didn't go right, because I, I didn't assess him, because I didn't pick it up, because I didn't do this, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't shoot the house versus, you know, I, I, I did shoot the house or, or whatnot. Uh, and, it, and it easily coincides together that, you know, not only do we have to manage yourself, but you have to manage the person that you're talking to a lot of times, be it a police officer, be it another healthcare professional. Uh, so I want to share something with you because I think it's really important mm -hmm. since we're here and this is like my dad's joint or it was my dad's joint and uh, my dad had a huge impact in my life because he was really bad with PTSD after his Vietnam deployment and uh, there was a time in my life where he felt like I was lost and he felt like I needed help after my deployments and loss is not like living with survivor's guilt or living with loss or any of, any of that shit or even feeling like you're scrutinized by other people in my opinion is is never easy and um, and it fucking sucks like John said it right like you know, there is no easy pathway that only path. And I remember people would tell me like, hey, you know, did you hear so-and-so has cancer and they're dying? I'd be like, dude, that fucking sucks. Like, I wouldn't wish that shit on anybody, right? Mm -mm. Um, but one, of, I think one of the best things my dad ever taught me growing up was adversity will make you stronger. You just have to learn how to deal with it and you know moving up in the ranks in the military I can tell you just like you with going from a basic police officer or even you Wendy becoming a RN to now a advanced practice RN you sit back and you're like you know I've learned a lot of things along the way and and the purpose of this podcast is not about you know, just sharing a story. It's about what did we do differently to make us better? What did we do differently to to really genuinely overcome our own personal demons and our own personal fears, in my opinion? Right? Uh, and I, I can tell you, I think Tim Kennedy uh, said it once, and he, he said, you know, just work and work out like, like a fucking madman, right? And then eventually you'll you're gonna find your zen. And but there has to be a moment as well where you sit back and breathe. Uh, who I have a friend who does yoga, and he was like, "Hey, you know, you have to learn to breathe and accept just certain things, and that's just the way it is, right? Life isn't fair. Like everybody talks about equality, and I'm like, there is no fucking equality. Like everybody who 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 preaches it, it's like there is no equality, right? I mean the gazelle goes to the fucking watering hole and the alligator eats the the gazelle the alligator's just being an alligator right hmm. is there equality that's just the cycle of life in my opinion and, and a lot of times in this situation there's this is just the cycle of life 
It's just a matter of how you deal with it. And as much as I like to advocate that you know, we have mentors or people that we can rely on, many individuals don't have mentors. Many individuals aren't blessed with parents who can guide them and teach them or older siblings or younger siblings or friends. And I suppose that's why I'm real passionate about as as we proceed forward that we try to be mentors, whether it's to you as listeners or to others that we work with so that we can share these lessons and hopefully you can learn from them because the stories that you heard today, one of the common themes was these individuals took personal responsibility. Ronald talking about taking personal responsibility as a young police officer with spending his own money to buy gear that would increase his safety. He could have complained about it, but he didn't. He said, all right, I'm going to take personal responsibility and buy this equipment. It's going to help me and keep me safer. Wendy, who lost her husband at a young age, said, okay, I could let this destroy me and be bitter and angry for the rest of my life, or I could accept it as, a, as the suck that it is and move on and get better. And I think that's what we need to learn from it. You know, Craig made a comment that he learned from his dad about how adversity makes you stronger. And one of my friends um, that I used to train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with, he used to always say, iron sharpens iron. And then he would proceed to kick my ass. <laughs> and how true he was, how true it is. Um, iron sharpens iron. Adversity makes you stronger. Does adversity suck less because it's adverse? No, but it makes you stronger if you choose to let it make you stronger. You can choose to let it destroy you, but at the end of the day, it is up to you to make that decision. We're all gonna have challenges in our life. We're all gonna have adversity. Hopefully we have support structures in place, people that we can fall back on and say, I need help. But if you aren't lucky in that capacity, it's still on your shoulders and you're still capable of making the decision for yourself. And I hope that you can hear these stories and use them as guidance for you as well. Because if you can stop and ask yourself the question, but did I die? And have the perspective of what can I do to make this terrible situation? Maybe not better, but learn how you can grow from it. Well, then you're doing something right. That having been said, if you're interested in learning more about the training and consulting services offered by Ops Medical Group or how our leadership and teamwork platforms can be of service to your hospital, your medic teams, your business, please contact us through our website at opsmedgroup.com, which is O-P-S-M-E-D-G-R-P.com. And please follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And last but not least, we'd like to extend a heartfelt thank you to our guest today, uh, as well as a, a genuine thank you to our first responders, our police officers, our firefighters, our first responders, our medics, our border patrol, our U.S. military, uh, and anybody that's out there putting themselves in harm's way to better the lives of other people. We thank you and appreciate you listening. Amen. Thank you, baby Jesus.